chapter 2 and verse 1. Amen. I'm excited about the things that we've been studying together on Wednesday night. I, I, um, I can tell you just personally that these things are making a, a, a great difference in my life. And um, it's, a, it's, a really, it's a really good day when, when you, you realize that you don't have to comment on everything. Amen. Um, you know, we've all been tempted in a lot of different areas in our lives. You know, a lot of times we, you know, when we're being tempted, we know it. But one of the points that we made last Wednesday night is that I don't think I've ever had anybody say to me, you know, I've been so tempted here lately to judge people. But we know that the devil certainly tries to manipulate us in this area. There's tremendous spiritual warfare around the subject that we're covering. And for those of you who are new to the study, we're talking about the things that Jesus said to us and the Bible says to us about judging other people. And of course, we know straight up that he told us not to do it. And one of the key reasons that he told us not to do it is because the judgment that we use against other people is the same judgment that will be used against us. Whatever stick you use to measure other people with is the stick that God will use to measure you with. So the devil obviously wants us to be judged. He wants the devil, he, the devil wants you judged. That's why he's accusing you constantly. The Bible says he's constantly accusing you before God. And he's accusing you because he's wanting God to judge you. But here's the thing you've got to understand about God. He doesn't want to judge you. He wants to show you mercy. He wants to show you his loving kindness. He wants to show you his grace. But when it comes to you being judged, Father God lets you decide the level of mercy, the level of forgiveness, the level even of condemnation that you receive. He says, if you're going to condemn other people, then you're setting yourself up to be condemned. If you're going to judge other people, then you're setting yourself up to be judged. So let's look at it here. Romans chapter two, verse one. I'm going to read it to you maybe from a couple of translations tonight, but let's, let's read it first in the new King James. It says, therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things, but we know that the judgment of God is according to the truth, uh, according to truth against those who practice such things. He goes on to say, and do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. What is he saying here? He's saying one of the greatest ways that we can show thankfulness for God's mercy in our lives is for us to show mercy to other people. One of the greatest ways that we can show God appreciation for him forgiving us uh, for all the wrongs that we've committed against God is for us to be quick to forgive people when they wrong us. That word despise, do you despise the riches of his goodness? It means to treat lightly, to to take for granted, 
to um, think it a small thing. These are not small things. The goodness of God, the forbearance of God, the patience of God, the long-suffering of God that He has had towards us. My friend, is anybody in this room besides me thankful that God has been patient with you in your life? Amen. I am so thankful that God has been so patient with me. He's always believed the best about me. He's always wanted good for me and only wanted good for me. And one of the best ways that I can express to him my appreciation for that and and not to take it for granted is to pass that same kind of goodness and patience and forbearance and long-suffering along to other people, especially to my brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you were treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds. Now this word in verse 1, inexcusable, you are inexcusable, O man, um, whoever you are who judge. It literally means to put yourself in a position that cannot be defended or shown mercy. To put yourself in a position that cannot be defended or shown mercy. Remember, God wants to show you mercy, but the devil wants you in a position where it's inexcusable. It, you, there's, God can't defend you. He can't show you mercy. And, and, and how do we get in that position? We get in that position by judging other people. Now, I want to read uh, verse 1 to you from the Amplified tonight. And by the way, we apologize. We've got connection issues with our projector, and so I, I, we, we love to put those verses on the screen for you, especially when we go to another translation. But let's, let's just, let me read it to you from the Amplified. It says, Therefore you have no excuse or defense or justification. Who justifies us? God justifies us, right? So, but when we judge other people, refuse to forgive other people, condemn other people, he says that we are now have no excuse, we have no defense, and we have no justification. Oh man, whoever you are who judges and condemns another for imposing as judge, poser, right? <laughs> Wasn't he posing, right? Anybody who judges, they're just posing as a judge because you're not the judge. I'm not the judge. And even if we were the judge, it's not judgment day. Amen. So I love the way the Amplified says this. He says, when we judge other people, we're posing as a judge. We're putting ourselves in a position that God did not put us in. We're, we're assuming uh, a, a place of judgment over people uh, that God did not put us uh, in over them. For imposing as judge and passing sentence on one another, you condemn yourself. Notice, you judging other people doesn't condemn them when you judge and condemn somebody else, you're actually bringing condemnation on yourself because you who judge are habitually practicing the very same things that you censure and denounce. All right, let's go now to God's Word translation. Same verse, different translation. No matter who you are, if you judge anyone, you have no excuse. When you judge another person, you condemn yourself since you, the judge, do the same things. Now, let's go to the message translation. This one kind of gets on out there. Those people are on a dark spiral downward. But if you think that leaves you on the high ground where you can point your finger at others, think again. Every time you criticize someone, you condemn yourself. 
One of the things that we've learned in our study, for those of you, again, who are new and so thankful to have so many new folks with us tonight, one of the things that we've learned in our study, most people judge and don't know they are because we think what we're doing doesn't rise to the standard or to the level of judgment. This is where the devil is deceiving so many people. To judge somebody else, let me show you how simple it is. To form and express a negative opinion about another person. That's judging. So I love, I love it here where he, because I think the message translation does a good job with this. When it takes it out of the realm of raining down fire and brimstone on somebody in judgment and condemnation and, and presents it as simply criticizing. Every time you criticize someone, you condemn yourself. It takes one to know one. Judgmental criticism of others is a well-known way of escaping detection in your own crimes and misdemeanors. Wow. So again, I'm not sure we've viewed a desire or felt need to form and express negative opinions about other people as a temptation. But Satan is a deceiver. And when, when we're deceived, it means we believe something that is wrong or untrue. Far too many of God's people are deceived when it comes to judging others, meaning they are judging but do not believe they are. They don't believe the things they think and say about other people rises to the level of judgment. Other forms of sin generate shame and make you feel inferior, but judging others has the opposite effect, making you feel proud and superior. This is what makes judging others so deceptive, toxic, and dangerous. Nothing like pointing to someone else's problem to make you feel better about your own. Now, I want to I deal with something tonight. John, John, the eighth chapter, probably one of my favorite chapters in the Gospel of John, maybe one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. It's just, there's just so much in there. And in, in the beginning part of, of that chapter, we see that the religious leaders had cooked up this whole elaborate scheme to try and corner Jesus once again. And they had found a woman who was caught in the act of adultery, which means she was caught having sex with someone that either that man was married or she was married or both. And of course, under Moses' law, this is punishable by death. And they were warning, the religious leaders were warning Jesus to pass the judgment on her. So they bring her to Jesus and they say, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. This isn't a rumor. This isn't a hearsay. There's no denying it. She absolutely uh, did the deed. And Moses' law says that she should die. What do you say, Jesus? Thinking that, you know, all the crowd's like, quiet now because here's this Notice if they're gonna if they're gonna embarrass him, they're gonna try to embarrass him about showing mercy. You got to be really merciful for your enemies to try to figure out how to trip you up with your mercifulness, right? So they're thinking that they've got him, right? But we know the story. He he stoops down, he writes in the sand, and then he stands up, and he says this in verse seven. So when they continued asking him, so continued asking him, they kept saying, come on, Jesus, what do you say? What do you say? You know, in other words, it wasn't like they asked him once and got quiet to see what he was going to say. They just kept poking him and prodding him, and he kept ignoring them and writing in the sand. And then he stands up and he says to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. 
Wow. Now, you have to think for a moment, what would throwing the stone at her represent? It would represent an act of judgment, right? Because the, the idea is that she committed a sin, she committed the sin of adultery, and that particular sin called for her to be stoned to death. Notice the heart of God for this woman. He, Jesus, is he proud of what she did? Is he condoning what she did? Is he sweeping under the rug what she did? No, no, and no. But he didn't just see what she did. You understand what I'm saying? She went, he, Jesus didn't just look at the, 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 the outward shame and guilt of her sin and, 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 the, and the wrong that she committed. He knew her for who she really was. And he loved her. Remember, Jesus came to save all sinners from all sin because he loves all people. And he loved this woman. So he says to her, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. In other words, he's saying, all right, you execute the judgment then. If, if, you're, here, if you're in this circle with a rock in your hand and you've never sinned, then fire away. And the Bible says that they, they left, dropped their stones and left. And it's interesting to me, the oldest left first down to the youngest left last. Maybe that means, Bruce, we just get older with age. I don't know. Hopefully, praise God, wiser. That's the older with age, wiser with age. We do get older with age, by the way. That's, that's in Proverbs 35, by the way. No, I'm just kidding. There's no Proverbs 35. Now, here, here is the point that I want to make. Because in some of these verses, we've, we've seen where you're inexcusable for judging somebody who sins because you have committed a similar sin or the same kind of sin. Jesus didn't say, Jesus did not say, if you're in this circle and you've never committed adultery, throw a rock at her. There were probably quite a few men in that circle who had never committed adultery. I mean, you've got to understand, these Pharisees, man, they, they devoted their life to the obedience of that law. That doesn't mean they were perfect, Okay. I've certainly committed my fair share of sin, but there are certain sins that I've, I've never committed. And if Jesus said, if you've never committed this particular sin, then you're free to judge someone who has committed that particular sin. See, we, we think it's like that. We think if we haven't done what they've done, then somehow that gives us the right to judge them. Jesus didn't say, if you've never committed adultery, you, you binger in the head with the first rock. That's not what he said. He said, if, you've, if you're without sin. So what's the point? The point I'm trying to make is, you, you may not have done what somebody else has done, but they may not have done what you've done. And, and we want to sit around and talk about, well, this sin's worse than that sin. The Bible says this, okay? And, and, and we, we, we ignore it like it doesn't say this, but it says it in the Old Testament and it's confirmed by the New Testament. If you break one commandment, you're guilty of breaking all of them. This is an all or nothing proposition here. This idea that, well, you know, we may have coveted and we may have told a lie, but we, we, we never slept with our neighbor's wife, and so somehow that makes me better than somebody who did. You, see, again, that, that, that don't play with God. That doesn't play with God. So, we tend to rate sin and, and rank sin. We tend to judge 
appearance and behavior only. See, this is why if you judge, you're just a poser because a true judge doesn't just judge the way something looks. It doesn't, a true judge doesn't just behave the behavior on, judge the behavior only. That's what he was talking about in, in, when we went deeper down in those verses in Romans, that God is qualified to judge because he judges according to the whole truth. He judges according to, to, the, to the, every factor in the story. We tend to judge how something looks and, and, and someone's behavior. And so we have a tendency to call our sin a weakness and somebody else's sin an abomination when all sin is an abomination to God. I've said this a few times already. I want to stay here maybe a little bit this, this evening before we finish. But we, we tend to judge what without ever considering why. You see, we're, we're three-dimensional beings. I've been teaching on this some at the Foundry, and so I appreciate you guys being here again. But we're a spirit. We have a soul. We live in a body. When people judge other people, <clears throat> when people judge other people, they're basically judging what they're doing, the, the outward uh, appearance. In other words, one of the three dimensions of their existence. So we are three-dimensional beings, but tend to judge one-dimensionally. God doesn't judge one-dimensionally. God considers all three dimensions. And I know this may come as a surprise to you, but He is more interested in the part of you that nobody can see than he is the part of you that everybody can see. What does that mean? That means he's more interested in your heart, which is your inward man, than your outward appearance or behavior. This doesn't just go with, um, by the way, this, judging other people based upon their outward appearance and behavior. When we say appearance, I'm not just talking about somebody doing something that is obviously sinful and wrong. We see James, you know, talked about the, the church, how um, people with a lot of money and, you know, drove nice cars and, and could potentially give big offerings to the church. They were given favored seating. And then people that maybe didn't dress as nice or didn't have as much money or whatever, um, they were told to stand in the back. See, that's, that's judging. That's, 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 you know, you know, looking at somebody and determining their worth based upon how much money they appear to have. You, you ever notice some of the folks don't look like they got a penny are loaded? <laughs> we are three-dimensional beings but tend to judge one-dimensionally. That's why we find this in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17. It says, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Your flesh would be your body, your outward appearance and behavior. We regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Because if anyone is in Christ, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Let me ask you a question. It's not a trick question. Does the outward appearance and behavior of a person tell that person's entire story? doesn't you have no idea what somebody's been through you have no idea 
what, what they may have endured. I don't, does anybody here, I'm probably the only person in Hueytown or Pleasant Grove that watches this show, maybe not. True South, anybody? John T. Edge, True South? Come on, Marty. He's my buddy back there, amen. John T. Edge goes, uh, it's actually on the SEC network, but it's not a sports show. John T. Edge is a food writer, and he goes, one of the, the first episode was Birmingham, Alabama, and he highlighted the Bright Star, and, and, it, and it focused on like the Greek heritage and, and how Greek immigrants influenced the cuisine here. And so he goes all over the Southeast, and, and he was, uh, the, the latest episode, he was in Mobile, and he always tries to find the, you know, he, he, he doesn't go to McDonald's, you know what I'm saying? He's looking for the, the um, mom and pop place and whatever. And there's a Cozy Brown's Kitchen in Mobile. I'm going to have to eat down there one day. Uh, Mr. Brown is in his almost 80 now. And this little mom and pop meeting three. But this man just, John T. Edge is talking to him, and he just, every time he gets a chance, he's talking about the Lord. Talking about what God's done for him. He says, he goes, this, this, this place, he said, if somebody comes to my restaurant with a problem and leaves without it being solved, I feel like I've failed them. You know. And then he told the story. Six years ago, he locked up the building, went out to his truck, quarter to ten. Twenty-year-old young man stuck a pistol in his belly to rob him. They said Mr. Brown at Christmas time goes out in the parking lot with wads of cash and just hands it out. They said, Mr. Brown, you come to his restaurant hungry. It don't matter if you got no food. He's feeding you. Stuck a pistol in his belly and said, give me your wallet. He said, young man, I don't carry a wallet. He said, I got some money in my front pocket, though. I'll give it to you. I'll give you everything I got. So when he reached for his wallet, I don't know, he struggled. The guy shot him. Shot him in the belly, and a bullet came out of his shoulder. He said, he was trying to shoot me again. We were wrestling on the ground. And he said, I'm, at that point, he was 70-something years old. He said, this guy was 20. He said, I was holding my own against him. He said this, are you ready? He said, because I'm going to tell you, John, he said, the Holy Spirit don't get old. <laughs> so Mr. Brown goes to court. And he tells the judge, he said, judge, let me tell you what I want you to do to this young man. I want you to give him probation and let me give him a job so I can be a daddy to him that he never had. He looked at John with tears in his eyes. He said, love and compassion and mercy is what works for me. Man shot him in the belly, tried to rob him. He wants to give him a job and be a daddy to him. See, that's mercy. That's mercy. Now, here's the thing. I don't, think, I don't think Mr. Brown ever committed armed robbery, shot a man to, to, to rob his money, but he also recognized that he, he, he's a man who's committed sin. You, see, you follow what I'm saying here? Now, in, in, the, in, the, in the weeks ahead, we're going we're gonna to get into something that, that I've, the Holy Spirit's whispered in my ear. He calls it extreme mercy. Okay? <laughs> extreme mercy. You know Jesus taught extreme mercy, don't you? I think Mr. Brown's situation qualified extreme mercy. Because see, what did, he, what did he recognize? What did Mr. Brown recognize? 
Mr. Brown recognized that that young man needed somebody to guide him and, and love him and be a father to him and, and help him. You, 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 you see the difference here. He wasn't just looking at this, at what he did and, and, and the outward appearance of it, but he recognized that there was a history there that needed to be considered and hopefully corrected. Praise God. You see, the outward appearance and behavior only reveals the what. To understand the why, you must be able to see the inward person of the heart. This is why when Samuel, the prophet, went to choose a king from Jesse's sons, the Lord told him before he got there, he said, I'm not looking at the outward appearance. You can find this in 1 Samuel 16 and 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For the Lord does not see as man sees. That's why if you put yourself in the role of the judge, you're a poser because you don't see. As God sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We were talking about this in class yesterday. You ever heard the expression, if it looks like a duck, walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it must be a duck? See, this kind of one dimensional reasoning has deceived a lot of people into thinking they're safe to judge others. Because by God, I know a duck when I see one. See? Right? You see this? See? I know a thug when I see one. I know a fornicator when I see one. See, again, right? Last verse and we'll pray. Romans 2. This time we're going to skip down to the last, towards the end of the chapter. He says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter whose praise is not from men, but from God. What does that mean? See, the whole religious establishment in Jesus' day, their bread and butter, their you know, greatest accomplishment was to get somebody else to respect them and pat them on the back. It was all about doing what men wanted them to do. It was all about you know, putting out this appearance and and presenting themselves in a way as to receive accolades and, and, and praise and glory from men. This is why, you know, they couldn't figure out Jesus because they even asked him one day, they said, who do you make yourself out to be? Consider what they're saying there because their whole facade was just phony and put on. And this is why Jesus said they were like um, tombs that were, <coughs> excuse me, that were beautifully painted white on the outside but full of dead men's bones on the inside. In other words, they looked and appeared like the epitome of righteousness and holiness, but on the inside they were, they were rotten. 
And then you've got the people that Jesus hung out with that were rough around the edges and, and, and committed sin, and it wasn't no secret that some of them drank too much and so forth and so on. See, again, they may have looked rough on the outside, right? But inwardly, they had a heart to want to know God. They recognized Jesus as the Messiah before the most qualified men on planet Earth to recognize Him did. The religious establishment thought Jesus was a, was a loser, a fake, a phony. And, and it's, it's like the, the unwashed, uneducated masses were like, how are y'all so blind that you can't see this man's from God? Can I tell you what the difference is there? It's the heart. It's the heart. They were so caught up in, in their appearances. And so we, we tend to judge other people because it, it gives us this false sense of self-righteousness that is, as the Bible says, a stench in the nostrils of God. Stand with me. Praise God. Stand with me. Praise God. Amen. We could keep going, but we'll, we'll shut it down right here. God looks on the heart. God looks on the heart. Amen. Not trying to say that what we do and the, and the choices we make are not important. They are important. You sow to the flesh, you'll, 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 you'll reap a whirlwind. You'll reap death. I'm, I'm not saying that. Just, just hear me, though, please. The reason Father is more interested about the inward part of you than the outward part of you is because He knows that if you ever give Him place in the inward part of you, there's nothing you struggle with on the outward part of you that you and Him together can't fix. Nothing that He can't fix. But if you keep trying and trying and trying to do it yourself without Him to, to give the appearance to yourself and other people that you're this and you're that and, and all this, you, that can't be sustained. That can't be sustained. Amen. Father, thank you for every person listening to me right now, those in the room, those online. Father, thank you for what you're doing in our lives. And, and Lord, I thank you that you're shining the light on, on these things, Father, because um, no doubt, and I know this from the Holy Spirit, that there are people listening to me right now who are in denial about their judging other people problem, Lord. And, and part of the denial is because they don't believe what they've been doing rises to the level of judgment. But yet, Father, it does. It does. And so, Lord, we know that this is the devil manipulating us because he's trying to get us in a place where we are indefensible, where we are inexcusable, where, where you can't defend us or show us mercy because we have refused to show mercy to other people. So, Father, help us tonight. Lord, we know that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to a world that was already judged and condemned. He didn't come to condemn the world. He came to bring salvation to the world. So, Father, help us. Help us, help us, help us, Lord. Help other people. Lord, not judge them. Help them. Not condemn them. Love them. Lord, not, not hold anger and unforgiveness towards them, Lord, but to forgive them. Show in the mercy that every person in this room has received and is going to need plenty more of in the days to come. We thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much again for being here tonight. You guys have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your evening. I'll see some of you in the morning, some of you Sunday. But life and peace to you and yours.